KXSFLP San Francisco and KXSF.FM. Indeed, KXSFLP San Francisco, 102.5 FM, streaming on the World Wide Web at KXSF.FM. We, our transmitter is probably still down, should be uh, back up with any luck tomorrow evening, tomorrow afternoon. Props to Mr. Bill Ruck and our dedicated tech team, hustling and hassling with that for the last little while. Um, I'm going to start out with one of my picks. Tonight is a special night. Two Mission District Poets, voices of the city and and the stories of the people represented with uh, Norman Zelaya, who is here, and I am blessed and honored to have him in the studio to read. And then a recorded interview with Leticia Hernandez Linares, and we'll we hear some poetry and uh, celebrating also Norman's new book coming out very soon on Black Freighter Press, Gente, folks. But first, because of this that mood, Cruising to the Parquet, featuring Ilabamba, Duran Jones, and the Indications, New, newly out this year, a sweet song to begin. Let's go.
And you're listening to a new release, a, a, a new re-release of music from the legendary Studio One drummer, Drummy One, Joe Isaacs, who, you know, left the Studio One scene, went to Canada, did a whole lot of amazing uh, disco and funk from the, uh, well, the 70s, 80s on for sure. This is... His, his release as Risco Connection, Sitting in the Park, the dub version, of course. And before that, to start out the night, Duran Jones and the Indications with Ila Bamba cruising to the parquet featuring Ila Bamba, of course. And uh, going to do a little spot and be back with Norman Zelaya and his pick. And here's this spot. Support for KXSF comes from The Music Store, an independent record store located in San Francisco's West Portal Business District. For more than two decades, The Music Store has featured two floors filled with music and movies, bins and bins of vintage vinyl, new and used CDs and tapes, and rare hard-to-find DVDs and videos. You can pick up a replacement record needle and even learn to play guitar all in the same visit. The Music Store, located at 66 West Portal Avenue. Thanks for supporting KXSF 102.5 FM San Francisco. And we're back. And uh, thank you, Music Store, for supporting us here at KXSF LP San Francisco. 102.5 FM in good times. And uh, hopefully the terrestrial airwaves will be back with us. Um, you know... I am blessed and honored to have the uh, Mission District poet Norman Antonio Zelaya in the house uh, celebrating and previewing the release of his new book, Gente Folks, you know, a collection of, of stories and prose, um, beautiful narratives, his second work following Orlando and other stories um, that was out on Pochino Press. But we were having a chat and talking about the music that inspires us and uh, this is kind of where Norman is comes draws some of his inspiration from, and this is his tune, his choice. Houdini, Freak comes out at night. I remember dancing to this one for sure. Beautiful stuff. Here we go. And it ain't till 12 till the party really starts And I always had to be home by 10 Right before the fun was about to begin Crowds of people lined up inside and out Just for one reason, to rock the house But in the daytime, the streets were clear You couldn't find a good freak anywhere Cause the come out at night They like to wear leather jackets, chains and spikes. They wear rips and zippers all in their shirts. 
real tight pants and fresh mini skirts. All kinds of colors running through their head, and you could just about spot a freak anywhere. But then again, you could know someone all their life and might not know their freak unless you see them at night. Cause the freaks come out at night. The freaks come out at And when the crowd's like this, I'm ready to rap. But before I could buzz around on the mic, freaks are all over me like white on rice. Freaks come in all shapes, sizes, and colors. But what I like about them most is that they're real good lovers. They do it in the park, they do it in the dark. But most freaks are known for breaking hearts. You can never tell what a freak is thinking of. And you may never catch a freak without at least one glove. But they don't walk, when they step, they strut. And nine times out of ten, they drive you nuts. So take my advice, you don't stand a chance. Freaks are so bad, they got their own dance. So if you want to live a nice, quiet life, do yourself a favor, don't come out at night. Cause freaks come out at night. And that was, of course, The Freaks Come Out at Night from Houdini. Back with a little Ain't No Stopping, Ain't no stopping Us Network's co-connection in the background. I am blessed and honored to have in the studio with me today Norman Antonio Zelaya, um, author of Orlando and Other Stories, um, the, his first book on Pochino Press, as well as coming up from Black Freighter Press, Gente. Folks, welcome, Norman. Thank you for coming through. Thank you for inviting me. 
Let's make sure this was Mike's turn. Okay. Um, so tell me, I, we, you, talk, you, you said in a way that some of this music sort of inspired you and reminded you of the people you're writing the stories for. Um, it's, it's, it's what comes up for me when I'm thinking about a particular place and time. I think more than mm -hmm. anything, that music is coming up for me because I'm thinking about the, the book release event that's going to happen July 30th at uh. Medicine for Nightmares. So I'm thinking about um, songs that I want played as you know I come up to the mic and as I leave the mic and in and in between. Yeah. Uh, but it isn't necessarily. Um, I didn't draw anything directly from the music. I fit, I see that. All right. I mean the the writing is and always been drawn upon uh, drawn from. What I know, right? Mm -hmm. And when I started writing at 15 years, uh, what I knew was, you know, myself, my family, you know, going to school and the neighborhood, right? You know, and, and the people in the neighborhood and, and how I spent my time um, after school on the weekends and the, the summers, right? All my time off. And, you know, I'm talking about 1987 when I started writing, so... I went back a few years, <laughs> which is which is which is the late seventies and you know early eighties. You know when I, I think I just I'm really thinking about uh, me coming coming of age. You know, consciously thinking about my surroundings and what I'm doing, who I am, and where I'm going to be. Wow. So, um, was there some really influential people in your life that started you writing? I mean, it's it's a not it's a it's kind of a niche thing for young people coming up in a way right how did you and, and especially you know coming up in the mission and in you know being a, a child of immigrant immigrant parents it wasn't a part of that narrative to grow up and be a poet yeah. right i yeah. mean there's no money in poetry right yeah. families don't travel thousands of miles so that the kids can you know be broke poets that's yeah. not it Right. Um, but in high school, I, you know, my English teacher uh, encouraged me. You know, she gave us creative writing assignments, and and uh, I was, you know, a good student. You know, and I'd listen to, you know, to Miss Barry, and and to this day, I still talk to Miss Barry, right and you know, ask her her opinions on, you know, my work. She, you know, I gave her when this manuscript was done. I, she was the first person I sent it to, you know, to think, you know, to ask her what, what you know, what, what what she thought. You know, give me some feedback. So, so it was her, you know, it really was her. And then, you know, as I go through this, um, this journey, you know, as, as a writer and, you know, okay, next step, I finish high school and go to college and, you know, get a degree and still thinking about, you know, writing, you know, get out of college and, you know, and I just kind of, uh, found spaces, right? The first spaces were, you know, in the open mic scenes in San Francisco. I thought that that's the way to go. Right. Me, you know, with the, you know, thinking about the beats and people going to readings and, and that's what you do. You share things. Right. And I met some people there and that opened up more spaces uh, you know, to be able to do to do, um, you know, features. And then, you know, in 96, I got into the uh, the MFA program, the creative writing program at State. And then I met my peers, you know, collaborators, like, you know, Darren DeLeon and Paulus Flores and. And other people, you know, who 
now I have people to talk writing about on to really challenge me and push me and then think about poetry and you know and the line and 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 plot and, and narratives and all those things um and also discovering myself as a person right me going deep into you know into my Nicoya roots you know my family coming you know coming from Nicaragua and thinking about those stories that I grew up with right, right. the stories that my grandmother told the stories that my uncle told and my mother told me um, and thinking about how that influences who I am because that's that's very much also present in the first book and in this book mm-hmm. uh, my roots you know being Nicoya and, and and what that what does that mean as you know Nicaraguan American um, so so yeah man uh, <laughs> a lot of influences there a lot of a lot of people kind of like people as, continue as to inspire yeah people continue to influence me and inspire me you know so as as I'm going through this, you know, being able to to have people like Willie Perdomo and Joseph Rios and Juan Felipe Herrera, uh, you know, write blurbs for me or give me feedback is it's it's a wonderful thing. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a it's an exciting time. I'm really enjoying this. I'm feeling like I'm feeling like a writer, which is yeah. which is what I want to do. I want to live like a writer as much as I can. Yeah. Well, this is your second book, and the first book was amazing. And I've heard, I think, one piece from that. Did you? Was that a new piece that you read at uh, Canto y Flores or uh, Flor y Canto? I'm sorry. That 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 piece was from the new book. That piece was yeah. from the new book. Gorgeous work, and and your your stories are so beautiful and touching, and draw from the from the power and the resilience of the neighborhood, and just are so inspiring. I, I you know. Appreciate hearing you do that. Yeah, I mean, I've, let me see. It's it's only been recently that the characters in my stories or in my work have grown up, or of you know, or are adults. When I started writing, like I said, my characters were were young children, you know, right. and teenagers, um, you know, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, discovering the world. And it wasn't until I'll say like the last five to seven years that the main character is, you know, 38, mm-hmm. <laughs> paying rent, living in San Francisco, a teacher, you yeah. know, and dealing with this current, uh, this current world. So the book definitely has, you know, its roots in, I'll say, 1982 mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are definitely pieces in there that that are contemporary, right, you know. Hint that folks have been here all my life, and it's been one of my goals to write about them yeah. and tell their stories, document their stories, and and put it out there, you know, you know, to to the world. I mean, you asked me earlier about like you know, audience. I'm always want to represent. And I'm really excited, you know, for you know people in my neighborhood and in my you know my close communities to to read my work. But I want people nationally i want the country to hear about our stories right. you know and uh and recognize that there's value in the way that all people live yeah well your your work as an educator clearly shines through in that first book the um you know orlando and other stories i mean there's some really incredible stories about you your and and seemingly drawn from your work as uh, an educator helping and trying to bring up youngsters and support parents in this, you know, dire kind of time and this really uh, hard economic 
uh, situation that, that, that people in the community find themselves in, right? My, my source material has always been very intimate, yeah. very, you know, close to to my lived experience, mm-hmm. but it's also reflective of the lived experiences of others, right? The stories that I hear tell, the stories that people bring to me, yeah. the stories that I get drawn into, and I'm not the direct, you know, uh, uh, protagonist. Uh, and, and to be clear, you know, for everybody, that I write fiction, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sometimes uh, I've had moments where people want to want to know whether or not what I write about is real or, you know, true. I mean, there's truth in all stories. Even in fiction, there's truth there, right? There has to be in order for us to, keep, to connect to it, right? And to, and to be moved by it. But I, I write fiction, but I write fiction, you know, Again, I don't. I want to make connections with people across affinities. You yeah. know, my intention isn't just to talk to people who know what I'm talking about. Right. You know, or live on my block. Right. You know, I'm. I want. I want this to go. You know, uh, coast to coast, mm-hmm. north to south. Excellent. Um, would you Would you mind reading us a story now? Yes, that absolutely. would be lovely. Um, and is um, and again the uh, the book. Uh, we're speaking with Norman Antonio Zelaya, whose new book, Hente Folks, is due out on Black Freighter Press. When is it actually due published? You have a, a... You can order it now if you go to Black Freighter Press, the website, and you can order it Order it now. Um, and like the actual book, is, you know, any day. Right on. <laughs> any day coffee should be going out in the mail. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I... I um, and also, there's an amazing. There will be an amazing uh, book release party, where which will feature, you know, Houdini and and some various other. Well, you know, it's it's, it's going to feature like you know, another thing. I'm happy. I'm happy to do is 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 bring along uh, my folks. Yeah. You know, which Cathy uh, um, Ariano, mm, another you know author for neighborhood, uh, Bero Mahado, filmmaker, storyteller, and cholo poet um, Felipe Velez. You know, and and I see them as my older brothers and sisters. You know, um, which you know, thinking about myself at that age, listening to Houdini, like the, those people were the ones that were influential during my life. When I was ten, eleven, twelve, it was, you know, the older heads, just a few years older than me. That I, you know, thought like I looked at them like, as if they were adults. Mm-hmm. But but those people really really inspired me during that time. Um, so I'm happy to have them come, come out and you know share their work and and uh, and celebrate with me, and you know this uh, momentous occasion. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Um, what po- what will you read us now? Um, this is and again you know I I, I didn't title mm. the pieces. Uh, this manuscript began. The intention was to write a collection of of poetry, um, but as I was identifying you know particular people uh in each piece you know i sat down with some longer than others and uh i just you know i continued to write Mm -hmm. and then as i'm you know i'm also reading you know books as i'm you know taking breaks from writing and uh ruben darío is the great national hero nicaragua uh, poet very influential poet uh introduced modernism and you know uh, spanish language writing his collection, Azul, is 
I mean, it's it's poetry, but it's it's on the on the cover. I I ran across it again, and it says, um, what is it? S- stories and prose. I said, I said, cuentos en prosa, yeah. and I was like, that's it. Like mm-hmm. like that's what I'm trying to do because I'm also very concerned about the poetic element in the writing. I, I want it to remain there. It allows me to do things narratively uh, that I can if I'm just writing a straight, you know, story, right? right? It allows me to to play with um, tempo and, and meter and, and grammar, you know, and language in general. So, so this is number six. <laughs> Excellent. Lisette is a young woman, a girl really, in a cream-colored dress, a sheath, too short. She leans against the corner, her crossed arms pressed firmly against her breast. A silver Lexus creeps and she breaks into a little trot. The car follows her and the driver shouts profane and angry as it pulls alongside her, but Lisette keeps walking, screens her face with her dainty hand. You gonna come around? You gonna have to? A public works truck rolls up behind the Lexus and stays on its tail until the driver is forced to peel away. Gonna have to! Lisette heads back to the corner. She has just a small shawl draped around her shoulders. It covers her to the elbows, but she tries to fit the rest of herself in. Her knees knock. She wonders where the dude will come back. It doesn't matter. Whatever. She stifles a shiver and waits, like the old woman does across from the school up the street, unwearyingly curled in a folding chair on the corner, a coat buttoned neck to ankles, next to her strawberry stand all afternoon, calling fresas to each passerby as she peels peanuts in her lap. Lisette waits like that. A block away, a motor revs, a garbage truck rumbles under the lights on 24th Street. Then it fades. Lisette thinks about going to a pumpkin patch when she was little. She didn't see any of the trip along the coast because she was too small to see out the window. It was all high green back of the bench seat and a pale blue sky, a few cotton-like clouds that must have left shadows in the water below. It was good that she couldn't see how high the school bus was above the ocean, how close it was to the edge of the cliff the whole time. She watched the sky dreamily until they arrived and the door opened to a patch that reached out to golden hills and hundreds of pumpkins scattered everywhere. Sister Regina said the students could pick one pumpkin each. They streamed out into the rows, grabbing and lifting all manner of pumpkins, small and oblong and reddish and white and covered in warty bumps. Lisette walked patiently through the patch, stepped carefully in between pumpkins, squatted to look close, stroked the rind. She didn't pick any up. She crept along low to the ground, inspected as much with her hands as she did with her eyes until finally she settled on a perfectly round, symmetrical pumpkin. It was large as she struggled to carry it. One of the chaperone mothers tried to convince her to take a small one. It was better for little children, but Lisette ignored her and huffed towards the bus, stopped to rest the pumpkin on the ground a couple times, but she carried it herself the whole way. On the drive home, she hugged the pumpkin tight so it didn't fall and thought about how much fun it was to ferret around the patch and farm. All the colors, splotchy orange and green pumpkins, strawberries, black olali berries, peaches, plums, mangoes, avocados. Lisette pulls a shawl to better cover her elbows. She wishes she had a crate to sit on. 
It's 4.30 in the morning and it's cold. A white pickup truck turns the corner slowly but doesn't stop for her. That's fine. She's busy minding the children in her arms. Her feet tap the sidewalk. Likely, he'll come around a second time for her. If he doesn't, someone else will. He said thinks about the dude in the Lexus, but forget him. Forget that guy. Above her, a light goes on in a window. The sheer curtain glows green. No one moves inside. It's too early to get ready for school. But still, time to get up. Powerful. Thank you. Amazing story. I loved the remembering and the, the, the you know, that, that sort of looking back at youth and what's currently happening and such a, such a powerful bit of work, man. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm also trying to, you know, to imagine, you know, who, who these people in the neighborhood are because yeah. they are members of the community. I take them to be members of the community and they have real stories. They're not two-dimensional. Um, and even, you know, like Lisette's connected to the place the way I'm connected to the place. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, you know, 24th Street, um, Harrison in the neighborhood, but it's the California coast. Yeah. You know, uh, it's imagining that someone like Lisette had that opportunity to, this, to explore mm -hmm. the, the area that's so diverse. That, you know, she too could have gone to a pumpkin patch, you know, which is, I would imagine, typical yeah. of, you know, American children. Yeah. So, um, I really love that, um, you know, you're, tell you're telling the stories of the neighborhood and you're bringing this out to try to, try to, uh, just, just not not humanized, but to to show everyone, um, you know, the the amazing diversity and and the depth of people's experience and stories that's that that are often erased, right? I mean, that's the that's the thing, you know. Our mainstream culture um, takes working people's and, and immigrant culture and squashes it. There is a necessity to humanize mm -hmm. these these folks. Because there are things, uh, there are narratives, right. you know, that dehumanize yeah. these folks. Um, simplify them, you know, make them problematic. Right. Uh, one of the uh, themes from my first book was uh, around homelessness. And I got to thinking a lot about homelessness as it ended up in my classroom, mm. you know, and two of my students went from having, you know, uh, a home in May to being in shelters in August. And, you know, and I, of course I, I see it, you know, I walk through it every day on my way to work and, you know, and leaving work, but it was a particular thing, different thing to, to now have, you know, have to, uh, support folks in my own class yeah. and this is small children you know i taught at that time kinder first and second grade and people are and children are survivors right. you know and they showed up to school and they 
gave the same effort they did that I expected of them every single day, you know, without outwardly demonstrating that there might have been something, some, you know, some struggle or, or some anxiety. Uh, you know, people are wonderfully adept to, to, to cope. Um, but I also, you know, was thinking about the narrative that was happening in San Francisco and in right. the media, you know, and I recall reading an article online and then of course online people can respond and there was such vitriol and nastiness and viciousness, right. um, you know, calling people garbage and trash. And I'm like, hmm, would any of these people call my students garbage and trash and you know say that they're the problem yeah. you know so it's it's necessary you know i think for for me speaking for myself to to humanize many of these people right i mean i grew up with all these you know varied experiences and these are all the things that people can live yeah. they do not stop being people right and our, you know, our society tries to put people in these boxes and, and ignores their, their needs and their wants. And it ends up being, and, and sadly, increasingly so, falling to people like you, educators, people in the classroom to try to deal with those problems. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, you know, it becomes your job, but it shouldn't be your job, you know? Uh, um. There's limits to what you know to what we can do uh, as 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 educators, um, and I'll try to pivot this a little bit back, you know, to how it shows up in writing. Mm -hmm. In order to support that student, uh, there's there's some work to be done to understand that student and that experience, yeah. right? And then also like check my own bias and what I, I may be projecting about a situation what are my assumptions about what is what's happening and then how do i correct those assumptions right. so that i can get the outcomes i want for the student so in thinking about gente and folks in writing i have to take the same similar approach if my characters are going to ring true or they're going to um, connect with the reader. It's because I did my due diligence to develop that character, mm -hmm. right? And I may not mention, you know, because I can't, like all the details of, you know, of that character's lived experiences, but I have to imagine it so that I can tell this one story about Lisette. Right, I spend a lot more time thinking about Lisette as an as a complete person, and how she grew up. Right, right? in order to write these, what, seven hundred words about her. You mm -hmm. know, these two pages about her. So I spend a lot of time thinking um, about who she might be. You know, right. uh, in, in real time, I pass by someone like Lisette all the time. Right. moments right you know get up five in the morning it's dark and i'm just going to the gym and there's someone is at that corner there's someone is you know walking you know quickly up the street right. um but that person's there every day right 
you know, so, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it, the the images stay with me, yeah. you know, and I and I do the work to kind of fill in the rest. Mm. Um, it it really. Um, I mean, you talk about how this is meant to go to a broader population, but it also, I imagine, I, I don't know how much your students and the parents or or people here here and know you as a writer, but I imagine knowing that the kind of stories you tell are out there in the world and your position as a trusted, you know, narrator and a trusted helper probably, uh, you know, does something about that. Do the kids interact with you about these stories or have you, have you had? Well, well no, I mean, like I, like I said, I, you know, I, I, you know, I taught kinder first and second graders. You know, I'm like, this, not, this, this, this literature not is <laughs> not, is, is not for them, right. you know? Uh, so, um no i i i don't bring my writing into into the classroom and that's that's a completely separate job yeah. you know the demands of that job doesn't allow me yeah. to bring in my writing nor do nor do i want it to yeah. um i've been invited you know by other educators to share my work mm-hmm. you know over the years mostly in high schools and I think definitely, you know, you know, my work is appropriate for for high schoolers, and I'm happy to, you know, to to get, you know, thank you cards, you know, from students and letting me know that that they did what I'm doing, that yeah. they do make connections with it, that it validates who they are. Like they thank me for writing these stories, and they want to tell me, oh, you know, I'm Nick Wednesday too, or I grew up like that too, or this reminds me of my grandmother. Um, that's a wonderful feeling. You know, to get that kind of feedback from, again, you know, kids that grew may have are having similar experiences, but in different parts, you know, of mm-hmm. California, yeah. right? Um, but I'm I'm hoping, you know, that um, you know, kids will grow up with you know with my books on the shelves. Yeah. Why not? That, that's a, that's a happy a happy possibility. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, the the kind of stories that really you know should be taught, and and I think would you know bring a lot to to community education and narratives. And um, I want to just say again, uh, just to break in, that we are uh, you're listening to KXSF LP San Francisco one hundred two point five FM. Um, I am with a poet and educator Norman Antonio Zelaya, who is. Um, celebrating and reading from his second published work, uh, now out or almost out, available for pre-order at Black Freighter Press, blackfreighterpress.org. And Norman, tell me a a little bit more about um, sort of the plans. Are you going to tour this work? Are you, I mean, you're going to get to do a book tour, that kind of thing? A lot of that is going to be uh, how much I'm able to to self promote. I mean, it's a small press. I'm really, I'm really excited and proud that uh, Ali Jones and Tongo Eisenmartin selected my book to publish on their press. Um, Tongo has become a friend over the years, and uh, he, you know, came to me directly and requested, you know, asked if I had a manuscript, and I didn't. I didn't have anything, you know. But I'm like, I wanted to collaborate with Tongo for some time and I told him I don't have a manuscript but I have an idea 
that I've been hanging on to for more than 20 years. Mm-hmm. I actually uh, discussed the idea with a um, uh, fellow SF poet out of, uh, out of Bayview, F. Douglas Brown. And uh, we were talking one day after, you know, classes at State, and we were talking about, you know, kind of archetypal, I guess, characters from the neighborhoods, right? It's like, oh, he he knew this dude in his neighborhood like this. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got, I got someone like that here in the mission. So we were going to collaborate and write about, you know, similar versions of the same character, but one, you know, in, you know Bayview on this point and the other one from the mission. You know, we never got to collaborating, but I, that idea stayed with me. Yeah. So, and it was immediately came up when Tongo asked me if I had something. Uh, so I said, "Well, here, let me let me sketch let me sketch out a few a few pieces, and you let me know if you dig it or not. If it, if you if you like it, then let's go with it. Mm-hmm. And if not, you know, that's good. You know, I'll, I'll walk on. And uh, I gave him like twelve sketches, about twenty pages, and you know, he he liked it. You know, and then I just developed it over the last year or so, and um, and here we are, oh, published work. So I mean, I'm excited, you know, uh, to again promote it here in San Francisco. I'm already setting up some stuff with some folks and uh, some friends in, in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm gonna hang out with Joseph Rios in Fresno. He's gonna he's gonna sponsor me down there. So, you know, um, I'm no, I'm hoping to get out there in the world. You know, I'm I'm gonna be uh, also. On let, uh, Letters Latinas out of the University of Notre Dame. Uh, so, yeah, man. Yeah. I'm going I'm to walk it out as much as I can. Excellent. Excellent. And just so everybody knows, again, uh, there is a book release party on Saturday, July 30th, 6 to 8 p.m. at Medicine for Nightmares Bookstore, 3036 24th Street in La Mission. And uh, with uh, being joined by some amazing community activists, artists, poets, Vero Mahano, Felipe Velez, uh, Kathy Arellano, and uh, also says Deuce Eclipse and the Bang Data Crew, perhaps. Well, I mean, separately. separately. You know, I, I, I know Juan and I know Jorge. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Can you give us another another reading? And, yes. Uh, Juriel comes down the sidewalk. Khaki bands and white Niners jersey, the red 16 pulled over his swollen belly. His steps are choppy but quiet. He's out over his toes, like a toddler. He's exposed, his red jacket rumpled and open. There's a shine to his unshaven face. He looks at the pavement as he goes, an uncertain stare. His face something worrisome, preocupado. Then he sees me and he lights up. Tío, me regalas un dólar, tío? He says it like I would say it, un dólar. He grew up here like I did. He's from these streets like I am. He's familiar to me like other heads I crossed in the neighborhood. He's a ghost of barrio past. I can picture him. He wasn't a dude that got into games. First it was resting against the fence as homeboys ran full courts. He just watched, talked mouth smack. That was your eye, Guillermo. Ha, caballo. Then he guarded the boombox so as old heads played softball. Hey, batter, batter. Check the EQ and toss falls back to the infield, careful not to drop his cigarette. And finally, he posted up on the block, cracked his beer sloppy, talking about, remember? Hey, hey, remember? But no, wait, wait, check it out, brother, right? 
it was like this. Check it out, my head. Hey, hey, I'm talking. We was kicking back, right? Slurping Asco face. Now, nah, blood, let me tell it. Let me tell it. Julia's version was hyperbole. She was hella fine, right? Like she had big gato eyes and I was charming her. Had her laughing and crying little jokes and stuff. Talking all close to her. Slurping Asco face. He mimed and made big faces as he recounted how this fine girl was into him. Things getting better by the minute. You feel me? A cough and beard dribbled on his chin. Then dudes burst his bubble talking about, man, she was laughing at him. Chocolate all in his face and shirt and stuff. No, that's, that ain't true, blood. His homeboys broke up, drowned out his story, talked over him until Julio gave up telling the tale and cracked another beer as he checked the EQ. Grinned, man, forget you guys. A funny shuffle, slurp, and asco face. You guys don't know, shoot. He closed his eyes, heard the music. Forget you. He wasn't going to waste his time. Better he just listened to his jam. He's from these streets like I am. He's younger than me, though. Ten years, a little less. He didn't make it. It's something I might say to someone who knows what I'm talking about. Remember him? Saw him the other day. Yeah, not good. Juriel stops and receives me with arms slightly open. Just a dollar, tío. His eyes are glassy, syrupy. He quakes faintly as he holds it together, hopeful. All he has to do is be patient, offer a half smile. Un dólar, like I say it. I shake my head, a, per a prescribed no, but I look at him when I say it. Sorry, bro. Juriel changes, resigned. He takes a drag off his cigarette and drops back into his disillusion. He checks his jacket pocket, both sides, feels for a lighter, maybe a key, then he walks on, strangely, hovering over the sidewalk. I don't act like it, but there's a sadness in me about him, something like grief. I can't give him anything this time, like I might other times. I do have a little money on me. I just can't give it. I need to keep it. All. But he knows what I'm talking about. That's a beautiful man. That's a, t a good, a great. Thank you. A great, what a, just the language and the interplay. I have to. Um, I want to uh, ask you a few more questions. Maybe keep you a minute more. Yes. And uh, you've got to play your your exit song as well. <laughs> That's good. Right but I do have to take a minute and play a spot. Uh, again, we are in dialogue and hearing readings from Hente folks. Uh, Coming from uh, and what, what was it? Was that number? That was number four. Number four <laughs> of Hente, folks. Just coming out on Black Freighter Press with uh, a beautiful release party um, at uh, Medicine for Nightmare Books on July thirtieth. But we got to take some thanks, and uh, we're going to do that and express some gratitude to this underwriter. This is KXSFLP San Francisco. The frequency uplift second Saturday Sunday poets. <laughs> I don't know what day it is, but this is that. Support for KXSF comes from Open Mind Music, a haven for record lovers since 1994. Henry at Open Mind believes music soothes the soul, inspires change, and makes us move. Find a wide variety from ABBA to Zappa, funk to punk, bebop to hip-hop, including new and used LPs, vintage turntables, local art, and your chance to meet Roxy the Doxy. Come find your groove in record time at Open Mind Music, 5521 College Avenue near Rockridge Bart in Oakland. 
And we're back. And uh, thank you, Henry, at Open Mind. And you know you can always catch that man on Wednesdays from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. holding it down uh, on the radio. So, um, and again, Norman Zelaya in the house. Thank you so much for coming through today. And, My uh, pleasure. And, and telling us and uh, telling us about the new book, reading from it. Um, such a powerful body of work, I have to say. I mean, thank you. From from Orlando to 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 the two. Uh, things we've heard now. Um, so it was a collaboration. I wonder, is there, uh, do, you, do you see yourself as sort of doing that, the work with, uh, you were talking about with uh, F. Douglas Brown, the poet. Are you thinking, or oh, is part of this representing other neighborhoods or is it pretty much all rooted in the mission at this point? And I mean, I mean, like, like I said, the, the, the genesis of the idea yeah. came out of that conversation. Um, which I imagine, you know, happens with, you know, artists who find, find their peers, right? You know, we, we discuss, we talk about writing, you know, um, we exchange, you know, stories and, and we bounce ideas off of each other. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure if Douglas can, you know, write his version or maybe he wants to, you know, uh, uh, you know, write his version of, of, of this book, but this is, you know, it's, it's definitely mine. <laughs> right on, right on. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, could be any other, right? But, but, but it, but it, it's, again, I mean, I'm, I'm just excited that, that it's, it's coming out and, and people are going to read it, yeah. you know, and if part of the response is that people are, are inspired to write their own versions, you know, of the people and the places that they, care dearly about of the people in the places that have informed who they have become then you know more power more power to all of us you know mm. you know hopefully people are, will get out there you know and look for platforms that will will publish and promote you know voices that have been historically underserved as they say yeah yeah well it's certainly um the your your poetry the poetry and the narrative the poetry and the prose really brings that out and really you know it can feel into those lives a little bit even though you know i i haven't lived those particular lives and i really appreciate your words and your work in doing that norman really really beautiful stuff thank you for having me uh, you're welcome so what are we gonna what are we gonna go out with i mean are is this the exit tune for the debbie the dev man debbie yeah. dev no doubt okay yeah. let's find that so tell me, tell me, uh, you know, there's got to be a story behind. That was the first one you mentioned. Any story well, about I mean, the Debbie Dub track? Again, like as the music, the, the the music that I gave you is what's in my head as I'm as I'm preparing, you know, for 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 this reading. Yeah. Uh, another another wonderful thing about this book and my previous book, you know, coming out is that it's you know. It's a tangible thing. Like people yeah. can now sit at home or on the bus or on a plane and read the book and think about me as a writer. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I've been giving readings, man, you know, more than 30 years. And mm -hmm. I, think, I think for a long, long time, people knew me as, but they know I write stories, but I think what they remember is what I do on the microphone. They right. remember me as a performer, mm. as, as an entertainer, you know, as a reader, but not necessarily walk away with the stories that I tell, mm -hmm. you know, because what I do on the microphone is 
isn't necessarily what I do on the page. Right. You know, so as I'm preparing for this, you know, this reading and performance, because I want to have a good time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take advantage of being up on that microphone and people know I'm going to tell stories. I'm going to tell some jokes. I'm going to engage the public because uh, I enjoy myself like yeah. that. Um, so as I'm thinking about also my the people who I've invited, namely Kathy Bero and, and, and Felipe and, you know, a, a particular place in time, that's the music that comes up. Yeah. You know, that's all it is. I mean, it really isn't. If anything, that that music can be like the soundtrack, you know, to some of these pieces. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah. So th that's the story of that, you know. And uh, and Debbie Debbie definitely the song the song that came up as you know I'm done reading and I'm walking out. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well. Norman Zelaya walking out of the building now. We <laughs> might have to bring him back and put the cape over his shoulders <laughs> one more time, but we're maybe some other day with that one. But uh, this is, of course, Lookout Weekend. Here comes Norman Zelaya or Debbie Deb. Thank you, man. I really do appreciate it. Uh, that's fun. I'm going to listen to this song. There you go. <laughs> it's just so much fun, man. You know, I, like... like Okay, man, it's your time, show the 
KXSFLP San Francisco 102.5 FM in better days, but always streaming in KXSF.FM. Thank you to Norman Zelaya for coming through, reading, um, and you can go with a little get sun, get into the funk a little bit here as we transition. But uh, thanks again to Norman Zelaya. New book coming out, Hente Folks on Black Freighter Press. Check it there, blackfreighterpress.org, as well as. Uh, at the July 30th opening uh, celebration book release party at Medicine for Nightmares. Show up, turn up. You won't be unhappy that you did because it'll be a party. 
And that was new music from uh, Trombone Shorty out of New Orleans. Everybody in the world from Lifted just out on Blue Note. Definitely unforgettable. And thanks again to Norman Zelaya for coming through reading from Hente, folks. Uh, before Trombone Shorty, we heard uh, Hiatus Coyote at the top of the hour. Get Sun, the Georgia Animal Drow remix out of the Moon Variant remixes on Brain Feeder. And that is uh, where we're at now. I'm going to do a spot and then come back with uh, a recorded interview and some song recommendations as well from Leticia Hernandez Linares reading new work and poems from Mucha Muchacha, Too Much Girl. Some talk about the exhibition that she is part of at the YBCA Dream Seeds Artists Collaboration, as well as Resistance Sounds and Words. But first, some thanks to this folk. Support for KXSF is provided by Rainbow Grocery, a worker-owned cooperative that has been serving San Francisco vegetarian food and providing a model for sustainable living since 1975. Rainbow is located at 1745 Folsom Street. Visit them online at rainbow.coop. KXSF would like to thank Rainbow Grocery for its continued support. begin uh, this segment of our second Sunday's Poets. Usually I just do one poet, but this seemed appropriate. Trying to uh, honor Mission District voices, the song of the city, and the stories of the people. I was honored and had a great conversation with Leticia Hernandez-Linares, and I'm just going to let that roll. Talk about a number of things that she reads from the book. Mucha Muchata, and uh, some other new work, which is really powerful. In the background, a collaboration, a, a live release just out, actually, between Joe Vasconcelos and Mercedes Sosa. Induce, in vivo. A live release. Leticia talks uh, some about Mercedes Sosa. And the importance of her work, but we'll uh, we'll get to that. Thank you for tuning in again. KXSFLP San Francisco, the frequency uplift, the second Sunday's poets, and this is Leticia Hernandez Linares of Mucha Muchacha, Too Much Girl, published in Tia Chucha in 2015. Co-editor of the Wandering Song, Central American Writing in the United States, uh, with Ruben Martinez and Hector. Tobar, um, and is an educator and an amazing poet, also the author of Alejandria Fights Back, an incredible kids book about organizing, about people standing up for their communities. Thanks for coming through. Thank you for having me, Bob. It's lovely to be here. Um, so I wanted to talk about maybe the how your poetry is in many ways rooted, certainly in the Mission District, certainly in that the music of this place, and also about, you know, the, the immigrant experience and organizing around that, about justice for people. And it feels like that is the root and in many of your poems, that and 
and family and and the journey of education and and making our way wow that's great i feel so seen bob thanks <laughs> well, I spent a long time reading that. I didn't finish actually Mucha Muchacha because it's such it's so beautiful, such a deep book. Lovely. Oh, lovely thank stuff. you. Thank you so much. It's so funny, you know. Um it's been what is it, like five, six years or maybe mm-hmm. more. And they the press sold out of the book, so they're gonna reprint it. Uh, this I looked fall. lots of bookstores. I have to let you know, and I ended up going to the library, which is great. <laughs> oh, awesome! I love the library so much. I'm so happy they have the book in that yeah. year. Yeah. You borrowed it, so that's great. But I'm excited that um, more, more books, more copies of the book will be out in the world. So yeah, what a what a beautiful book, and it and it moves, you know, from you know the 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 midwife and the and the experience of birth giving birth into your hiha to the children to to uh all of us all, all our people together kind of in a in how we move forward how was yeah, that I mean, writing that process for you i mean it looks it's such a beautiful journey that book well thanks again i appreciate your kind words and i it's funny that you highlight mi gente ustedes uh because you know everything i do is you know either you know it's with and for you know community mm-hmm. and 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 nothing alone. I mean, that's something that's been ingrained in me since I was younger, and that is really just part of who I am and my process in terms of, you know, um, how many people can I pull in, you know, either as an audience or as a accomplice or collaborator, um, or just someone who really needs to hear a message um, because narrative is such a you know powerful tool. That is the basis of everything I do. And in terms of the process for writing this book, oh my goodness. Well, it took me a really long time to get this book together in part because I am interdisciplinary and in part because I used to work um, in the nonprofit industrial complex um, in first in direct service. And then, you know, I was teaching, but in the you know, community-based teacher and with um, nonprofits. And then I moved into um, the fire and agony that is administrative work. Mm. And uh, I am so happy to tell you that I don't do that work anymore. And as a result, I am, um, you know, about 70% focused on my, on my artistic practice. And then I, or maybe 50 to be fair. And then I also, I teach at state and I do some consulting work. Uh, but anyway, that's not what you asked me, but that is part of writing this book were the obstacles that kept me from completing it that I had to overcome in order to finally get it together. Mm-hmm. The other thing was that in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was very involved in the spoken word scene, especially in the Bay and in California, and and part of this really exciting momentum and movement of Latinx, although we didn't call ourselves that then, <laughs> poets, mm-hmm. right? And so because I have a background in theater and, and I was doing some performance projects, uh, the other challenge was to translate my poetry from you know, the way I presented it on the mic and the stage to mm-hmm. the the page, right? Wow. Um, but that was like a good struggle. Like that's right. you not know, as much something that I'm worried about anymore because I've kind of gotten, you know, a groove going. But because uh, I, I really want to be on the page too. And, I, and right. I insist on being it, you know, on my own terms. I have tried to oppress myself and, and try to like make myself fit into things. But I have resisted myself, my own internal colonization. I resisted it. Anyway, so it's, <laughs> it took a minute 
it took a minute and then to just kind of how do I you know how do I weave these stories together stories of the neighborhood stories of my struggles with patriarchy with institution and my family's origins and you know the, the place I keep trying to get to know that is my ancestral homeland I don't know if that answers your question, but you know, it does. Fun. No, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it is. I mean, I was um, drawn first to your poetry. I mean, I don't think I ever read it before I heard you read and, and, it, and just your reading was so powerful, so beautiful. So both, you know, lyrical and musical and how you deliver that. So I was the, I could feel, <laughs> I could feel that song, the song in that, in the book, in the poetry, as I read it from the page. And so, you know, that was successful one. And two, just, it's a really interesting dynamic, this art form as poetry as a spoken and a, a received medium, right? And how we, you know, how, 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 how different it is here in this book and, or can be. And um, yeah, I just, I, I appreciate that. And I um, wonder for you, do you have a different experience sitting down to write then to versus getting ready to read? I mean, what is that? the reading well, experience for you because you're you're rooted in a in in a scene that is really all about performance you know yeah i think um definitely it's is it different mm -hmm. how do you approach your creative process yeah I, i'm trying to think about how i want to um yeah. explain i there's always the the musicality or the rhythm that's part of either writing it or or performing it certainly when I get ready to read I I prepare I'm a double earth sign with fire moon so I'm always rehearsing and know my timing and my biggest pet peeve is that poet who gets up and do I have time for one more it's like oh bruh come on <laughs> be professional but you didn't ask me about my pet peeves um of which there which I'd like to I'd like I, to hear I could fill a book with those <laughs> let me tell you uh, sounds like but, a poem in writing but anyway I I, I interrupt <laughs> Probably one that I would have read 20 years ago, but not so much now because, you know, I'm trying to focus on, on the beauty and the joy and the, and the, and the urgent, not the, you know, silly stuff. But um, not, to, not to say that I'm not silly or still, um, you know, very, very committed to humor and, um, and keeping things light, you know, also because the world is so heavy on us yeah. and it doesn't let up. It's not letting up. But yeah, there is that um, inspires me, you know, I often, even if I don't end up using it, you know, what I'm listening to when I'm writing is um, key to how my work developed. Mm -hmm. um, because, and it's not just music, it's also sound because I don't have the luxury of like a quiet, beautiful office with a beautiful window in front and, mm -hmm. you know, um, a room of my own, as Virginia Woolf said, right? I write my poetry on the couch. Uh, I wrote this book in part with, you know, young boys, you know, swirling all around my small apartment mm -hmm. uh, in the kitchen, on plane. In fact, I'm very inspired when I'm traveling to write. Mm -hmm. So the sounds and the soundscape and sights also kind of really play a part. So I think I do my best writing um, when I'm kind of in a resistant place, right? Where I have mm -hmm. to like, okay, I've got to make these these rhythms work or it's my white noise, if you will, or sometimes it's my inspiration and my background. Um, and so moving around, listening to, listening mm -hmm. um, and uh, and just having a, a full body experience, but an interdisciplinary experience 
is important to me. Some people need quiet. They need that room. They need, uh, they need nature. Um, and I, I mean, I haven't had that many experiences writing in nature. It, yeah. it was lovely. And I'm not, you know, that might be nice when I don't have children to mm-hmm. tend to that I can leave for, for those magical residencies of two weeks. And two <laughs> weeks seems like an eternity to be right. away from my kids. But again, I digress. Uh, but that is, you know, connected to the idea of like, what's your process, right? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> well, I, I, I love, I love the speaking of your your children. I love the the two poems in here, the the section of uh, mucha muchacha about about the two of them being born and what what you know. As a parent, I but not a mother, I can relate. You know, really beautiful that that sense of you know, bringing bringing life into the world, and that seems like that's a poetry that's an essence of poetry you're bringing that life that creative spark to people you know in a way yeah you know it's so funny uh when i was pregnant with both of them with each of them they're about five years apart uh i i used to run a series of interdisciplinary performance series of um and with an incredible array of of um women of color who many of whom i'm sure you're familiar with that you know came through over the 10 years and both times when I was pregnant with them, I was pretty far along and I, I host, I curated it, I hosted it, mm. um, had a fabulous time, you know. Um, but I, I bring that up because eh, it wasn't that many, but a handful of, you know, men, friends, I'm gonna put quotes around friends, um, mentioned, oh, you know, it's gonna be really hard to continue your art when you're, you know, as mm. a mom. Just like when I was moving into those horrid administrative ranks it's gonna be really hard to be an artist when you're an executive director. Uh, and I managed to pull all of those off together. And yeah, and I really brought on my kids. I mean, my kids have grown up in the community and community orgs and protests on the stage. They've written themselves. My son just graduated from the uh, Sawa School of the Arts mm. in musical theater. Right on. Uh, my younger nice. son is really into you know visual art, but they're both interdisciplinary to my pride and joy. So yeah, my my sons are a real important part of my work as um, an activist and, and an artist, and or I, I really don't separate them. So artivist, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, would you bless us with a poem? No, seems like a good moment to. This one doesn't have the song in it, but it's new. Okay. What's the name of the poem? The lining. Lining. Thank you. Since we're talking about motherhood, I thought I would read a new poem that I had published in 14 Hills, the San Francisco State Journal, a couple years ago. It seems like it's been like 10 because it was 2020. Um, you know, it's such a strange thing time right, right. now, right? Yeah. Um, this is a little different than my usual, I think. So we'll see what you think. The lining. There are three layers, a pile of paper, uterus binds, where they write you into breathing. You are made of words that sing the mother inside. La madre adentro, the first layer, the second, the backup, the chorus that pushes you through from other world to birth. The womb vast where I can grow, love, child you into existence, an extension of me I can't keep. Tu eres mi otro yo. When my mother had an early removal, she said something about her vejiga, la bolsa, her bladder in a bag, and I pictured balloons. 
Translation is also a removal. The third, a coat covering the day with membrane and ligament, not always filled and when hollow, still belly, vessel, chamber. La matriz traces to pregnant animal to the function and my mother's board betrayed her, buckling her pelvic region, the tissue growing inside out in search of beast in need of ink. There are three layers, the paper in the uterus where you write my breathing. What of me when the mother is on the outside? Mm. Amazing. That's really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I was excited when they picked it because uh, like I said, it's, it's a little bit of a departure. And we are listening to an interview and a reading. And that was the poem, a new poem um, published in the SF State magazine, for uh, 48 Beals. Uh, the Lining, and we're um, having an interview and uh, reading with Leticia Hernandez Linares of uh, a, a YBCA um, uh, scholar, a scholar and, and uh, artist, and we'll talk more about that in just a second. But I do want to take a moment to do a little PSA since this is community radio. And it's all about uh, supporting and and amplifying voices in the community. Uh, Want to give a shout out to these guys and uh, thank you for tuning in again. This is the Frequency Uplift Second Sunday Poets with Leticia Hernandez Linares. But first, this. Uh, this. Community Music Center is a San Francisco vital hub for music education and performance anchored in the city's Mission District and the Outer Richmond. Founded in 1921, CMC is a nonprofit organization providing high-quality music instruction to anyone, regardless of financial means, and inspiring students to reach their fullest potential. For information on classes, summer camps, or how you can help CMC enrich scholarships for in-need students, go to sfcmc.org. And thank you, Community Music, a amazing institution. Support them if you can. And back to this interview now with uh, with poet and educator Leticia and organizer and artivist Leticia Hernandez Linares. I'm curious too about your feelings about sort of the use of poetry and the use of of this kind of work in in sparking change in in creative resistance. How do for you? How does that translate into creative change into social change? I mean, as an educator, obviously, and other ways. But I'm curious well, about the poetry, the artivism of it. You know. Yeah, I um, well, you know, I grew up in the. Um, in the 70s and 80s, before the big 80s wave of refugees and, and, and immigrants came from El Salvador, so my parents came pre-war. When, and, and our story was we couldn't return because of the war not that we came. So um, my father was a musician and my parents were hippies. And I mean, just by, by the nature of their being, they would, you know, be in danger because anybody who is artistic or student, not to mention actual, like, resistors and revolutionaries were in danger right? right and so um i mentioned that because i grew up around music as resist you know resistance music movement music my father was in a chicano rock band for a big part of my childhood spent a lot of weekends um you know at the rehearsal 
and around that. And so my father told a lot of stories through music. Like he had this incredible vinyl collection, which I know I am the, I had that jewel, that heirloom, you know, that inheritance. And, um, you know, he would tell me stories. He wouldn't overtly say, you know, like music can be political. It just was sort of the foundation, right? Is that, you know, he was resisting the, the, the mainstream narrative that was so dehumanizing and so one-sided by, you know, telling me the history of not just of Salvador, but of Latin America, and of, of the world, of the global South, mm-hmm. and of the resistance movements that, you know, exist and the beauty of culture. Um, all of that was through his storytelling and through music and through his, you know, his art. He was very much an artist. And so, you know, I never understood them as separate, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And so, mm-hmm. although certainly not every poem is about something that's, you know, some kind of movement or necessarily going to change somebody's life, uh, it is the core of my practice. So for instance, to explain more clearly, this children's book that I just uh, wrote, uh, and it's part of a national movement and a national collaborative of organizers and artists who believe in the power of narrative to transform and to bolster social change. And so, so many people, including myself, have dealt with issues of, you know, eviction or attempted displacement. And even someone like myself, who is, you know, I am do consider myself a pretty educated person, a couple of degrees, not that degree equals being smart necessarily or educated, but you know, that's another show, I think for another time. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's a deep conversation uh, for sure. Yeah, anyway, uh, I uh, struggled when that was yeah. an issue that came to me. And so the collaborative came together and they and they hired me and they selected me as the lead author to develop this story. And they have um, several projects, different kinds of platforms, podcasts, video game. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they really believed that, that there was a vision behind the project, right? So I wasn't just writing on my own of story. I wanted to tell about something that happened to me, although that was part of what I did. But it was also connected to this larger movement of self-determination and access. So when families read the books together, they can then go to the website and see what resources are in their, you know, particular part of the country. And, you know, if they need that, there's definitions of terms, you know, like eviction and, you know, um, all the things that we don't necessarily think about in terms Mm -hmm. of housing rights and land justice. So, um, sorry, I feel like I got a little off my no, no, that no, that's a great. I was really interested in this and in in, in the the just just this is both as a tool and as a as a as a, a support for for uh, families and as a support for people undergoing eviction struggles. What you know, what it's a it's an amazing story and 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 a really empowering story. And I, as you mentioned, the glossary. I love that uh, you know it's the voice of a grown the grown child, Alejandria telling you all about this it looks like you know yeah and you know part of it is not just about informing um about housing rights it's also about countering the narratives of like Mm -hmm. you know we give up we're gone we're you know i get very upset when people talk about san francisco being dead or the mission being dead i mean yes it has transformed and it is very challenging to deal with that on a daily basis and to witness all of the um 
and to witness all of the consequences of what's happening, right? For right. the increasing unhoused, how unwell people are, um, people constantly leaving, being kicked out of their homes, businesses closing, um, young brown men dying. I mean, there's so many things and I, it's just overwhelming, right? Um, but there is a lot of people there is a lot of life still. There is a lot of resistance. There is movement. There is presence. It's not just about living here. This community is much more than that, right? right? And so this book is about sort of resisting the erasure, the constant erasure. And that's something that I've been dealing with my whole life as mm -hmm. the first generation Salvadoran in the U.S. growing up during the Civil War there, right? I didn't grow up in it, but just during the time that it was happening. And so that's an important like impact of the book, right? Is that like, look at us. And then, you know, because it was a coalition of black and brown folks, um, we, you know, we kind of were thinking about certain uh, asks, right? The story mm -hmm. committee was like, well, we'd like it to not be any particular neighborhood, but like anybody throughout the country can relate. Um, and that's not making it like universal, like it's right. everybody's story, but mm -hmm. just trying to be really intentional and inclusive. And we, um, and I proposed, I wanted this the character to be Central American because there are very few books that feature Central American kids, kids books, right? Mm -hmm. Outside of Jorge Guetta's work, who we're lucky right. enough to have as a local author. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted the, the, the protagonist to be Central American. And then I thought, let's make this, the character Afro-Nicoya to also uplift, you know, the erasure and visibility um, and anti-Blackness that, that does is a real thing in Latin America as well. And so just really trying to like uh, highlight that intersectionality and, and really let everyone in to the story and um, also show that young people have incredible capacity. And um, this was based on something that my, my own son did. Mm. And so when people are like, where did you get the idea? I'm like, well, you know, from a young person I know around the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, yeah, it, it is really an empowering story and beautiful story and, you know, bought it for a new teacher, as you may know, um, and really um, appreciate that. And the interdisciplinary stuff that you mentioned as well. I mean, you have a, a, as a YBC, YBCA 10, um, um, what is it, uh, honoree, I suppose, um, you get you've you've done an amazing installation that's all also about community and also about healing and uh, was really wanted you to talk about that a little bit and tell us about the, yeah, the sure. I, it's open through the summer and free most of the time. yes it is yeah. open and free it's called dream seeds and it is at yerba buena center for the arts downtown san francisco and i was so blessed to go from this collaborative i was just telling you about with the kids book called rise home stories and um mm -hmm. if you look that up you can find the website pretty easily and to see the other projects and to understand more mm -hmm. um and though we were really fortunate uh, that we partnered with the feminist press who published the book and so they will be reprinting it because that's also um been doing really well so that's exciting um that's but so to go from there to the ybca 10 which is an inaugural program and to receive the honor though it's a lot of numbers ybca 100 ybca 10 mm -hmm. but we, I have often found myself in life being building the plane as we go. Mm. That just seems to be my lot or charge. And so we were doing that a little bit as the first group, the inaugural group of this sort of test of, of YBC trying to figure out how to do better as an institution 
that is, you know, admittedly rooted in white supremacy and displacement of, you know, where the physical building itself stands. And so I, yeah, it has been really amazing for me. I will Mm -hmm. say I, um, the humility and the, and the transparency and the generosity have been pretty phenomenal uh, on the on YBC's part. Um, and I, when I say that, I say like the people that I've worked with on the staff who I've grown to know and respect and appreciate so much. And then there's the the fellows, the co you know co artists that are just family now. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful, amazing, you know, courageous artists and you know, for me, and I've, I've shared this multiple times, I've been in my relationship with YBCA for almost seven, eight years now, maybe even more. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like on the margin, on the side, not, 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 not ever really like seen or, or in the center, you know, um, and little by little that started to change a couple years before this thing happened. And it felt really weird and, and, and amazing you know because mm-hmm. it was like oh here I was kind of here the school residency artist mm-hmm. to having a place in the huge main gallery which now they want to call studio because they want to kind of start to rename things and think about things differently mm-hmm. and my uh, colleague and friend you know Fred Alvarado a really uh, prolific artist and muralist he brought all this amazing color to the steps and the pillars that all used to be just generic Mm-hmm. and made this beautiful mural and he has also been in relationship for that long both of us working in the schools and so it really feels like you know we went from the margin to the center and we're bringing as many people as we can with us and so I actually invited Fred I commissioned him to do a small mural for my installation as a sort of branding for my the community um, library the Central American theme library that I created in my installation um, so yet again, you know, just trying to 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 share and bring as many people along as possible, including my own son who painted some one of the shelves in there for me as well. Oh, great. And so yes, yeah, so my we were tasked with you know create you know, what do you want to do with the space? You know, what do you mm-hmm. want to create? What is the message? What is what is it connected to? And so for me, um, I was still still so so angry and and so just baffled by. Kamala Harris's, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I don't even know what you call it, that that declaration or the, those three vicious words she had the gall to say in Guatemala. Um, it's like, have you ever read a history book? Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to know why so many people are coming? Do you know how how could you not know right. the U.S.'s like responsibility and fault in that crisis in this ongoing crisis? And so, um, that was something I wanted to talk about in connection to my lifelong work in Central American um, studies, arts, convenings, just mm-hmm. making us visible, bringing us together, countering the narratives that for decades have painted us as this awful, foreign, ugly thing, mm-hmm. um, and show the world how I grew up learning and, and imagining and celebrating my culture inside uh, the small you know, places we lived, my parents and I. And so I wanted to create welcoming. I wanted to celebrate culture and I wanted to counter narrative. And so one of the components of my 
installation is a giant uh, muñeca sin pena, which means, you know, without shame. And she's an anti-worry doll, if you will, come to life. And, 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 and reframing the narrative of Ishmukane as a princess who will solve your worries for you if you just put it under your pillow, these tiny little dolls. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to kind of explore the idea of, you know, immigrant labor and immigrant sort of subjectivity and also of our own history and legends, right? Ishmukane is, is a different, much different, more powerful creation deity uh, in the Popovu. And again, it's all translation. There's no it's hard to say what's right and what's wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wanted to invite a collective uh, conjuring of people bringing their own vision, their own manifesting into a space, you know? As, mm-hmm. So connected to that narrative transformation of like, you can envision it and you can make it happen, which is something right. my mother um, always told me and I didn't really get it, didn't really click mm-hmm. until more recently about like, yes, we can envision, you know, this, big white empty uninviting room that I've never been invited into suddenly becomes mine and the nine other artists what do you want to do with it I want to make it as welcoming and as colorful and as bilingual and as intergenerational as and multiracial as I can and so one of the so like for instance we I was making the doll with my collaborator and one of the producers Annalisa and um, a, a, a person on the staff of YBCA who had never, but I tried to say hi to her, you know, and she was just kind of like, whatever. And I was like, okay. And then she came over and she wanted to know what we were doing. And then it turns out she's Guatemalan and her family are weavers and she gets really excited about the project. And then she gifted me uh, a, a woven weepil, uh, a, a, a blouse. So she became a collaborator too wow. and was so excited about it. and all the and so and then it started to happen right it was like oh there has i mean i'm pretty i'm pretty confident i'm one of the few if not one of the only central american artists who's been had this much space Mm. you know to to use in this building maybe i'm wrong i'd be happy to be wrong but um you know people i've brought people who've never come to ybca um and i and, and so have the other artists too right and so you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of the spirit of, you know, what we've been doing, the other artists have been doing. There's a plant library, there's an um, the interactive dance floor, there's a house, there's a sanctuary, there's a sanctuary outside and inside, um, there's spell books, there's poetry and this incredibly beautiful tree. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to explore. So it's not just my piece, I just I want to make sure to to invite folks to see the whole experience. We're gonna have a closing celebration the last weekend of August, and I'm actually having an event um, coming up next week on July 7th, sorry. I'm having an event on July 16th. And so there's a lot to check out. Yes, yes, so on July 16th, I'm hosting it. And this has been a series of events, as you know, that I've held in the space. I am hosting a uh, novelist, Gina Valibrera. She is working on a novel about um, Salvadoran women. And uh, she is from San Francisco, but lives now in Michigan and she happens to be in town. So uh, she's working, finishing up her novel. And I'm actually also working on a young adult novel um, also about, um, mine is sort of Salvadoran uh, archetypes. 
um, that I, I write about a lot, La Ciguanaba and Presencia Ayala. And so uh, the Arts Commission is supporting my that work for me. And so I'm we're going to be sharing like sneak peeks of this new work that is related. We have related titles yeah. and it's called Daughters of the Volcano. And we have a musical guest, Monica Maria, who is amazing. Uh -huh. So I'm really excited for next mm -hmm. Saturday at 3 p.m. In, in the YBCA lobby. We're going to have this little floricanto. And this is KXSFLP San Francisco. We're in dialogue and some reading with Leticia Hernandez Linares talking about her installation and her work uh, at the YBCA and a great writer. I'm going to have to cut short a little bit, but I want to make sure this last poem gets heard. Daughter of Shaimala, how many times did they mispronounce your mother into a jumble of letters? Doubt her crimson intonations, her fragrant words. Did Shaimala struggle? Did she crave return? Our mothers both their feet on this blood moon terrain, yours bearing degrees, mine a wombful, morning childhood geography, warm rain pressing her eyelids, and palm tree leaves growing over so long. Archie, pretending a bridge. A foreign government sucking her under, obscuring the foundation of Mesoamerica's past, crafting game boards for hierarchies of immigrants, and you as ambassador. Do not come, daughter of Shymaleta, stand among the ghosts stripped of song, look into the eye of Guatemalan citizens and talk of securing facades and fences that the wind will mock. Volcanic ash in your throat after a three-syllabled assault, the trees peering at you when you tell the reporters about the example of Shaimala. A seismic silence in the wake of detrimental declarations of unwelcome. Do not say the words. Pluck the blades from your mouth so you don't cut my fingers as I reach for the rabbit that will reason with me. Spit up scripted quotes about your immigrant mother and what she taught you. Have you sat on the floor in the bare wood with the trickster rock? Have you counted calories to understand a you that isn't wrapped in blazers of police cop chota blue and the polyester of powerful men? Bring Shaimala's textiles and layer them over the tejidos de todas mis madres y mis abuelas, and we can sing mourning for Claudia Patricia. I will arrange shells and shuffle cards, show you how I fled the monstrous machina, how I grew the, how I grew the crochet of my hair to cover the scars of institution. I am the skin of Las Americas, my leg bearing the birthmark of this tierra, of the sanguinary currents that overflow. I walk and sing along the cosmic waste of this continent, along the line of fire at the belly of the earth. Daughter of Shaimala, scrabble the words of your mother's name and spell her out on this blood moon terrain. The Las and the Yaz are not so different. Daughter of Shaimala, yo soy la hija de Leticia del Carmen, la hija de Soy la Mercedes, and there are no borders to secure except the ones that encage us. 
There are no borders to secure except the ones that encage us. There are no borders to secure except the ones that encage us. So beautiful and such a uh, powerful or beautiful and powerful rebuke to power misused and abused as it is so thank you so much for that work and for that welcoming and beautiful room that that kind of counters that narrative for sure and uh oh thank you i wonder did you did you think of a song Mercedes sosa is a big inspiration to me and uh, i wrote a poem for her in mucha muchacha and uh, i sing a lot of her songs and uh you know, she didn't write a lot of all the songs that she sang, but um, she definitely popularized a lot of them. And uh, Cancion, Cancion con Todos, you know, the mm -hmm. uh, song with everyone, right? And a lot of her songs are about resistance and community and um, and resilience. So the Cancion con Todos inspired me in terms of, you know, thinking about the relationship, uh, not only to community, but with the earth and with land. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah. Thank you. This is, song mm -hmm. this is, this is uh, Mercedes Sosa. Salgo a caminar por la cintura cósmica del sur. Piso en la región. Más vegetal del viento y de la luz Siento al caminar Toda la piel de América en mi piel Y anda en mi sangre un río que libera en mi voz Su caudal Sol de alto Perú Rostro valide está Un verde Brasil besa mi chile, cobre y mineral. Subo desde el sur hacia la entraña América y total, pura raíz de un grito destinado a crecer y hasta allá. Todas, todas las manos, todas, toda la sangre puede ser canción en el viento. Canta conmigo, canta, hermano americano, libera tu esperanza con un grito en la voz. Así sea, muchas gracias.
pregunto al mundo, el mundo me ha engañado. How to decipher songs embedded in ocean foam. Your voice held poetry in its womb, incantations fluttering on their own, only directions shifting, remembering how broken hands didn't sever Hara's chords. Al ritmo de una chacadera te despediste cantando. ¿Quién nos detendrá las piernas con canción? ¿Cómo despertaremos del cansancio de lograr por las multitudes lo básico? Tucumán, Argentina, 1935. First steps into a moment when women in the world were tuning their voices. Birthplace named for the crossing of straw cords weaved together like a chain. Tied by songs, sewing struggle into solidarity, stitching the holes between strangers, closed. Madre de nuestro canto, born six months after a fearless woman to the north, took flight over a strip of smirking ocean, first to test her reach between Oakland and Honolulu. Women here, women there, connecting the dots, linked by how willing they were to snub expectation, snap in red. Si no creyera la balanza, en la razón del equilibrio. Splendent her humility, burgeoning unsung legend, stirring vibratos under Sistine Chapel Dome, holding Carnegie Hall chairs captive, summoning flocks of listeners to the Rome Coliseum. She sang loudest under candlelit Mission District flats where community workers cooled heels by the fire of cassette tapes, old guitars. Tu voz fue nuestra guía, showing us to turn the mud fertile to plant defiance, grow silence, into ballads. Soñé que el río me hablaba, tú que puedes, vuélvete. Decades of songs subtle like falling leaves, life-saving rhythms watering trunks, patient for the valley of your voice to return. Cautious birds listen for the wind chiming welcome. Bienvenida, bienvenida cancionera. Esta chacarera te ofrecemos para recordar Preguntando qué poemas nuevos fuiste a buscar. Pedimos que nos sigas cantando del mar, de los cerros, con los pájaros bailando en tu pelo. Cante en paz, cante en paz, sing in peace, Mercedes Sosa. And that was, that was a poem for Mercedes Sosa from Muchacha, Mucha Muchacha, Too Much Girl, from Leticia Hernandez-Lenares, and sadly, we have to end here. It is 12 midnight at San Francisco Community Radio, KXSFLP San Francisco. Thanks to our second Sunday poets, most recently, Leticia Hernandez-Lenares, as well as Norman Zelaya, his new work, Gente, folks, just out on Black Freighter Press. Check out the... July 30th opening at Medicine for Nightmares or Celebration and check out on the 16th, Saturday the 16th Daughters of the Volcano at Yerba Buena Center for the Arts This is KXSFLP San Francisco 102.5 FM We'll leave you with a little Hector Lavoy her other choice El Dia de Mi Suerto a classic from his work Hector Voy with Willie Colon just a little snippet of that good night
se murió, solito con el viento. 